All right, welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, how are you? I'm good. Uh, a little frazzled. I've been doing a lot of writing, a lot of work um, on the UFO beat. More on that later. Uh, I mean, maybe in another episode once I've concluded my investigation. Uh, another dimension, possibly, too. <laughs> oh, definitely another dimension. That seems to be the new... Um, the new wrinkle in all this is that they're not necessarily from Zeta Reticuli. They're from the fifth dimension. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah. They can appear and disappear, skip, skip through space, um, do all kinds of things that require interdimensional uh, travel, basically. Wow. Um, yeah. It, I, I keep predicting to you behind the scenes that this is the subject that is going to eat the uh, American mind in the next six months. Um, and uh, I hope our uh, listeners will hold me to that prediction um, because I'll stop talking about it if it isn't true. But if well, it does... there, was, there was actually a very interesting moment this week when uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, uh, he, he came out and after having a UAP briefing, very cryptically suggested that uh, Joe Biden needs to inform the, the public and you know he can't he can't give an address to America every night but he needs to do something um, if, if this isn't some kind of information op it's it's uh, it's very clever um, and very convincing too clever by half I, uh, everything's an information op that involves information and you know politicians and government of course that you don't they don't talk about anything without some sense of how it might profit them or not. But uh, I'm not sure, I'm not yet convinced that this is a magisterial orchestrated deception. Uh, I, I think it's something a little different than that. So uh, as I say, I'll, I'll dig deeper. I, in any subject that involves the fate of humankind, I should spend, I think, at least three weeks um, uh, getting to the bottom of it. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll return to that su that yeah. subject. Yeah. It's it's not going anywhere, or yeah. actually, maybe it is, but but uh, but we'll see. Anyway, th this was a an odd news week. As a, as a result, we decided to go off in a slightly different direction uh, this week. Um, sort of a, a colleague of uh, who I've known for a long time, uh, Bill Maher, somebody whose show I've been on uh, many times, gotten. Made in the news, uh, was in the news quite a bit. Um, gave an interview with uh, Jim Gaffigan and said a very interesting thing, uh, which would allow should allow us to talk about something that I think is dear to both of our hearts: the fate of comedy in the in the current generation. Uh, so let's listen to first to Bill what Bill Maher says to Gaffigan. People develop a relationship. They want to hear Colbert's take about the day. They want to see. Uh, it's Jimmy. not a take. Those guys don't have takes. I have takes. What <laughs> they, what they, do, I have a take on things. What they do is say exactly what a liberal audience wants them to say about that. That's not a take. Not, I mean, I'm not saying it's not sincere. I guess it is on their part. But even if it wasn't, that's what they would do. There's never a moment where you don't know exactly. Oh, this is the correct okay. point of view. On All that. right, basically. This is Bill Maher saying, Gaffigan is saying that what people tune into when they tune into late night shows for 
Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, um, you know, any of, any of the others, <laughs> I always get them confused. The people want to hear their takes, and Bill says uh, they don't they don't have takes. They just have they just deliver what the audiences want to hear, which is, of course is a common criticism of what we do in media these days, and especially in political media. But he dis- distinguishes what they do from what he does. His says his show is more predictable, but basically he says what they do isn't comedy uh, and isn't an art form. Walter, what was your, your reaction to this first? Because it, among other things, uh, that whole group of people um, has created a sort of viral legend through a new podcast called Strike Force 5, which is uh, an entity in itself. But, but first, let's talk about Mar. Yeah. I can't wait to hit the giant softball of Strike Force 5, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll confine myself to specifics at this point. Um, so I've also been on Mar uh, and uh, seen how his show operates. Um, they patiently write a show over a week. Um, you get on there. Uh, talk is pretty unrestricted um, among the guests. Mar, of course, has written his bits and his longer pieces. But to sum up my reaction, I think he's right. He's absolutely mm-hmm. right. Um, uh, not just in that his show does present an odd take, which is the reason you get people mad at Bill Maher constantly because he's always betraying anyone who thinks that he's going to have a predictable line on. Um, uh, but, uh, the, the, the lack in the other group, uh, which really is a group and he treated them as one and now they are treating themselves as one. Is amazing. Uh, okay, so I don't watch a lot of late night comedy anymore. I'm sometimes on their competitor, the Greg Gutfeld show, which has succeeded chiefly because they represent a monolith um, and, and are easy to outflank, but uh, especially on the right. Um, but in any case, one night I was in a in a uh, laundromat during. Uh, Russia game. I think it was pre-COVID. I'm trying to remember which panic uh, was. <laughs> I, I I can date it to. Uh, it was the Russia gate panic. <laughs> Did you feel like like some like if Herodotus were alive today, that that that's how he would define the periods? Like it would be, you know, COVID. You know, the COVID panic, the Russia gate right. panic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Russia gate. Uh, COVID. Uh, you know. Ukraine, a little, little more meat on the bone there in that it Stop is. Stop the re- steal. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the Trump trials, uh, that's, I guess, our current uh, era, the Jurassic era. Um, but in any case, I'm sitting in this laundromat because my washing machine broke, and there is a, a TV with no remote decibel uh, bolted up near the ceiling playing the Stephen Colbert show. And Colbert was running that night through the um, kind of accepted positions on the latest Mueller findings or whatever, or lack of them. And he was, I, from a distance and seeing him in that sort of alienated frame, a, a menacing character. He, he, he 
he was sort of machine gun style spitting out these accepted propositions and positions. Um, and the audience seemed to be laughing out of fear uh, as much as anything else. Fear that Colbert and his staff maybe had cameras on them and would, uh, you know, know who, uh, who had not laughed. Fear maybe of the person beside them uh, for not having laughed as loud as that person. And there was actually nothing funny about it. The jokes had no shape as jokes. Uh, I, they were just kind of notional uh, pokes. And uh, you, you got the sense that Stephen Colbert's function was no longer to entertain or make anyone laugh, but to enforce a kind of drill sergeant cultural discipline, um, you know, where, where he said something and you had to say it louder or, um, you, you know, jump up, sit down. Uh, and I went, this has really evolved since I was a kid. And, you know, I, I, because I think everybody's gold standard for this late night talk was Johnny Carson, who I remember making fun of, uh, you know, every politician who came down the pipe. Um, never thinking he was necessarily friends with them or behind any of them. You know, was, was Johnny Carson a Nixon guy? Was Johnny Carson a Jimmy Carter guy? Was he uh, uh, a Reagan guy? I, I could never tell. Um, maybe it was gentler humor in certain ways, uh, but it didn't seem like it was meant to keep you in line. It's interesting you bring up the machine gun style. So one of Colbert's most famous routines in the last, in this era, uh, was, was sort of a, a, a ripoff of the Rodney Dangerfield, uh, staccato delivery of one liners. And it ended up with, uh, probably his most famous line of the last five years. You're not the POTUS. You're the bloatus. You're the glutton with the button. You're a regular gorge, Washington. You're the president, but you're turning into a real prictator. <laughs> Sir, you attract more skinheads than free Rogaine. You have more people marching against you than cancer. You talk like a sign language gorilla who got hit in the head. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's <laughs> holster. You're a presidential library. All right, so that's that's the infamous uh, you know Vladimir Putin's cockholster line, but it's it's amazing, right? Because it, it, the this is the Don Rickles delivery, the the uh, the Rodney Dangerfield you know uh, sort of cascade of one-liners coming one after the other, each one that's supposed to be funnier than the next. Except this one is just raw messaging. There's no there's no real jokes in any of it uh and as you say the audience's their reaction isn't really to the joke it doesn't feel like it's more to something the, else very strange in, well the intensity um they, mm -hmm. they they're they're laughing in direct proportion to how worked up he's getting and how worked up they feel they should be in response you know now you know as someone who's penetrated the Masonic secrets of late night talk and been on this Gutfeld show, you know, umpteen times. I can tell you that audiences are a strange thing. 
sometimes they desert you. Yeah, you, your your best lines, your best jokes land with a thud. But it seems on the Colbert show they're very well trained. They they don't um, they don't ever disappoint, and, and and that's the way in which I think Stephen Colbert is a drill sergeant. He's so uh, insistent on getting a response that out, I think literally out of intimidation, the audience complies. Those jokes were seventh grade pun. Trictator? I mean, I, I could do better than that. He has actual writers. Um, Cockholster? Well, I, I don't know if that's street language or if they invented that one, you know, in their long lunches at, 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 at CBS, but none of it ranked as far as I would can tell, you know, uh, it's famous because it's sort of memorable and burns an ugly hole in the brain. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I, I, and so it's not surprising to me that Colbert, Himmel, Fallon, the reason you got confused before was because yeah, Jimmy, two Jimmies. Yeah. The two Jimmies and, and they, they're, they're like an elm tree that grows out of one root. You know, I'm, you're not sure. Are they two actual Jimmies or, <laughs> you know, uh, one in one half. Uh, so, uh, the testimony to, to what Marr says is that all three of these guys, plus John Oliver and Seth Meyers, have combined in a podcast called Strike Force Five to um, stay relevant during this uh, Hollywood writer's strike, which has kept them off the air. Uh, I mean, they're doing reruns, uh, which, which shows you, which is another testimony to how kind of dumb the shows are uh last week when i was on gutfeld i was talking in the green room about i was saying what are what are fallon and colbert doing and somebody looked it up on their phone and they said tonight they're running one's running a show from last january and another is running a show from last december um and i thought well people probably can't tell because i'm sure all the shows are about how much they hate trump um, how awful Vladimir Putin is. Um, I you don't should know. get your shot. Yeah, you should get your shot. Uh, etc. Et so the shows don't change much. They could probably shuffle them like a deck of cards, and nobody'd know the difference. There's not that much up to the minute uh, content. In any case, Strike Force Five gets them all together on a podcast, and it's to benefit their writers. Uh, who are now out on strike, and, and, and they divide the, what I imagine are the rather meager proceeds from this Spotify bri uh, broadcast to uh, help their writers. And, oh, I'm all for that. I'm a, I'm a Writers Guild member who's on strike right now. It's affected my income. But in any case, here they are, all five of them. And can you imagine in any other mm, entertainment setting five people who are supposedly competitors, or at least three of them are, you know, sharing the same. Especially, especially comics. Yeah, especially comics. Comics, the most misanthropic, you know, miserable, contentious, disagreeable group. Jealous. Jealous yeah. people yeah. on earth forming this kind of, you know, glee club 
uh, 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 of, of mutual admiration shows you that, in fact, they are not really that separate entity. They're not really separate entities. They, they perceive themselves to be part of a, a small mob. Uh, and uh, there isn't a bit of disagreement between them on anything material. Uh, so it's a real, the show's a real admission uh, of Bill Maher's contention that they don't, they don't come up with anything that eccentric or individual. They feed people a kind of a wafer, a, a pressed wafer of, uh, you know, normative thought. Comedy is supposed to, one of its functions I always understood was that it made you not take things quite so seriously. Everything can be laughed at. Everybody is equally ridiculous. The president of the United States and, and the poorest person in America, uh, you know, they can both, they can both be ridiculed uh, safely because all people are, you know, inherently ridiculous in, so, in, in some moment. Right. And that's, that's sort of the, at the end of the, at the end of the day, when you turn on late night TV, what you're getting is what what you once got was a a subtle reminder that you know you don't have to take the all the stuff that seriously uh and then there was this weird moment in the history of late night comedy that oddly enough Colbert was part of, which was when the Daily Show uh arrived in you know the during the Bush years and that was when we, they, there started to be news stories about how comedy was becoming a news source for people because the networks sucked so badly and, you know, had, had performed so horribly during the WMD episode, during the coverage of the war, uh, and lots of other things. And the appeal of both uh, Colbert's show, The Colbert Report, and The Daily Show was that they went after everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was a little bit unpredictable, uh, especially especially Stewart's show. But I think that was also true of Colbert's show. I mean, he 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 goofed on uh, on everybody. But it was this idea that the the comedy show is now a little bit political. Um, then that's what why I found this transformation into what he is now. Uh, on CBS so bizarre because it's the opposite of what he was on the Colbert report. At least that that's the way it feels to me. Uh, do I, am I per- perceiving that wrong Walter or is, has there been really been a change? Well, there's definitely been a change, but to take a couple of your points in order, when I was a kid, Matt, and you know, these are, these are campfire tales at this point, but, there was a show called Laugh-In on TV. And mm-hmm. it was almost entirely predicated on making fun of Richard Nixon. Um, in fact, I, as a kid, always felt uneasy because I never knew Nixon not to be a butt of comedy. Um, and uh, I, I thought uh, just by absorption that we had the most ridiculous president of all times. Um, and, and they were merciless about it and, and never stopped. But it was a different kind of comedy um, 
in some ways it was more personal and it was almost affectionate in that it it, it never stopped talking about it um there uh, there was no counter figure um so when Stuart came along, and as you say, I think he was largely a reaction to Wood, you know, to to the kind of uh, consensus notion uh, around Bush that you know America was just right in all its wars, etc. Um, you suddenly had a, a feeling of air entering the system, you know. Um, Wow, there was some space between comedy and the news, uh, and the regular news. Um, and if you wanted to hear the kind of bland reverence, you could turn to the regular news. But if you wanted to see anything critically, you turned to John Stewart. And in that sense, he was more than comedy. But comedy is always more than comedy. It has been in this country since Mark Twain. I think defined America as the place that could, for the first time in history, make fun of power, uh, and especially entrenched traditional power. Um, and uh, so, in a vicious to, way, too, right? I mean, the, in, the, an, in, 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 in an absolutely vicious way. I mean, Twain, as time went on, became a critic of America of of, of such radical disgruntlement and, 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 and disgust that a lot of the stuff had to be published after his death. Um, you know, his, his mockery of our uh, imperial projects in the Philippines, for example, was savage, truly savage. Um, and, you know, he, he was always saying things like there is only one native uh, criminal class in America, and that's Congress. And things like that. And, and he really, he believed it. He, he forced you into a, uh, well, I don't know what it, what it felt like at the time, but even in the seventies, when I started reading Twain, because books by him were still coming out, collections of, uh, of papers and essays that had not appeared during his lifetime were still bestsellers in the sixties and seventies. Um, because, as I say, it had been so vicious that it hadn't appeared often during his lifetime. Anyway, um, when I saw uh, Colbert leave the, what is essentially a Twainian enterprise on, on the uh, John Stewart show. Comedy Central. And Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. And become uh, a, a courtier, you know, uh, a, 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 a court jester. But not even a court jester, because jesters made fun of the king. You know, jesters gave the audience a chance to laugh at the overweening power that they usually had to um, uh, placate. But he became a kind of adjunct, uh, you, you know, uh, because not only was he making, you know, a certain kind of fun of Trump. He now, under the Biden administration and since Trump, has become, you know, uh, a person who gets people to take their vaccines by doing the, the worst, what I think is probably the worst bit ever on late night TV, um, in which, uh, you know, to the sound of the, to the tune tequila um, uh, or whatever it was, uh, a bunch of dancing hypodermic needles um, 
came out <laughs> came out into the audience and kind of scared scared old ladies. He danced with one of them. Um, you're like Stephen Colbert is the um, comic enforcement arm of the regime. Uh, it, it, the Department of Comedy uh, has you know a head, and his name is Stephen Colbert. Mincom. Yeah, Mincom. Yeah, Ministry of Comedy. Um, Kimmel is next in line. Uh, you know, he he he's not to me quite as bright or as sharp as Colbert, and and he doesn't have that sort of sophisticated uh, cocktail party mien that Colbert has. You know, Colbert but, often looks like he but, walked out of a New Yorker cartoon. But you'd rather get high with Jimmy Kimmel, I think. I'd rather Colbert. get high with anybody but Colbert. Like I say, really? he's a, kind of a frightening visage for me. Um, <laughs> he seems cold. Uh, he, his glasses he, have a faux intellectual air that suggests, you know, he's scrutinizing you like a, you know, some kind of high bureaucrat. Um, Kimmel's a little bit more for the average person, but he's just as cruel in a dumb way. I, I, I mean. Cruelty, when it is acid on a fine edge, is always uh, funny. But blunt punching, sort of drunk punching, is just wearisome. And, and that's Kimmel's thing. And then there's Fallon. I've done way too much uh, thinking about the sort of um, you know, fine distinctions between these three. And then there's Fallon, who, who goes back to some sort of dinner theater idea of being a little bit sloshed and doing funny songs and uh being a clown himself being kind of hapless a lot which, of his which can be a cool a cool shtick in a way i'd take it over the other two because mm -hmm. it's got a kind of uh tradition and a um humanity that, that the others don't uh Rarely do you see Stephen Colbert make fun of himself. He, you know, this is a man who thinks he is the smartest person in the theater when he uh, comes out on stage. Um, Kimmel seems to think he's just the, the the most correct person, not necessarily the smartest. He, he's infused with a sense of justice, I, and and it's it's really hard at, to see the former host of the man show um coming out as some avatar of right thinking but he does i don't know how they brainwash these yeah, guys that's so, an interesting transformation yeah yeah that's true yeah. Mm -hmm. how do they move to the next stage of their career okay you're gonna go from being this the douchebag you know that everybody can relate to because you're venting their own sort of sexist and you know douchey thoughts to a guy who's punishing people for wrong thing. Um, yeah, so he, he, he did anti-vax Barbie, which was one of the cruelest. Uh, like, I can see how they would think it was funny, uh, but, you know, it, it's an absolutely vicious video. Um, you know, where, you know, I read on the internet that Moderna makes your teeth Jewish, and, you know, it's, it's this whole, like, mocking of people who do their own research uh and it, it was it was just a, a, a unbelievably nasty caricature 
um, totally gratuitous, uh, but it, at least it was it was some kind of performance, which is what you know Colbert's is is just sort of stick uh, this. You know, I I order you to laugh now. Uh, right, right. You know you you, you 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 have heard the gospel. It is time for you to to say the the, the anointed words, but. Um, one, one reason that Greg Gutfeld exists is that, and, and that Bill Maher exists, is that they are so constrained by their devotion to, you know, social justice, wokeness, whatever you call it, that all they can really do is create this in crowd sense of, uh, of outrage over this supposed outcrowd. In other words, Colbert and Kimmel and Fallon to some extent, though Fallon you just feel is uncomfortable with politics and would, you know, love to be doing Dean Martin drunk jokes and singing funny songs. Um, I've got an example of that in a second, but go ahead, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kimmel and Colbert are basically saying to the audience every night, Look at how stupid everybody else but us is. Look at how crude, cruel, uh, and misled everyone but us. And the laughter you get is always at the expense of the people who aren't smart enough to be in the audience. Um, those people out on the street selling hot dogs or in Toledo um, selling cars or, or you know whatever. And they're, they're in crowd smugness, which is something you really didn't see in the Johnny Carson. Um, you know, Johnny Carson's in crowd was him and his friends from Vegas. Uh, you know, Don Rickles, uh, you know, Charo and whoever his strange cast of pals was. Um, and, and, and what made that... And they didn't pose. They didn't pose as insiders. They just posed as kind of a certain kind of party crowd that went to Caesars a lot, and you you imagined hung out afterwards at you know big steak restaurants or something. Um, but uh, but but these guys are suggesting that there's a kind of menacing, stupid uh, Neanderthal America out there that. They are holding, uh, you know, holding the line against. They're denouncing, right? And if you don't want to do that, the only thing that, that's left to do for a comedian is basically to try to have fun within the confines of some kind of approved messaging, which is what uh, Fallon does. It seems to me as much as he can because. That seems to be the bent of his personality, but uh, could we hear the, uh, the, his B-52 bit? Guys, I read about a new COVID variant that is some people worried. It's called XBB.1.5. I guess they couldn't think of a catchier name, and it actually inspired me to write a tiny song. There was Alpha, then Delta, then Omicron X. But this latest variant might be the best. It's XBB.1.5. Another brand of COVID-19 has arrived. It's a new strain, but it isn't the same. Sounds more like... 
Elon Musk, his name is XBD. You get the point. Here, here's my here, here's my B-52s or Sparks impersonation. And it's pretty good. I mean, you know, he, he's good at that stuff. He did, he, he, he did, uh, he does Bruce Springsteen pretty well. Um, but that's, that's about as much as you can do. It's like, there's a, there's some room to have some fun within these tiny little parameters, but you, you, it, it can't have any edge to it. Uh, you know, unlike, I mean, South Park still, still has, does stuff that's, very funny and very very edgy, uh, and part of what's funny about it is that it, it doesn't adhere to the pieties. But if you're on one of those shows, it's nothing but pieties, right? So, listening to that, it attempted comedy in that it was trying to satirize the fine gradations of a variant uh, that that were coming out. You know, it was. It was genuinely. Right, it wasn't a vaccine. It was a variant. Yeah. Yeah. It was genuinely making fun of 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 how sort of far they've gone in training us to to notice small differences in the COVID virus as it you know mutates. But um, it the reason it couldn't go any further than that is that to suggest that in some ways COVID was being oversold or scare tactics were being used to keep you going was absolutely uh, out of bounds. Um, and I think one of the reasons that he hides in these parody songs is that he can't really explore the logic of a lot of his jokes beyond the first level. Um, uh, because, because if I was going to write a routine around uh, you know, the increasingly preposterous names for the COVID variants and so on. Uh, I, w- I would have gone a lot further. You know, I would have um, maybe gotten into Fauci and other bureaucrats and the way they... But it, did, they do a, did they do a Fauci? He was the most ripe for satire guy that's come down... The pipe oh, in, in American history, you know. Um, I would have had skits every night, you know, Doctor Fauci's bedtime stories. Um, 